Pastor Ed Taylor on one of the ways we can stir up humility in our lives. Be an encouragement to others. When you encourage other people, you place their needs above your own needs. Well, maybe you're going through a tough time right now, but the Lord really impresses upon you to send a text out to somebody you haven't talked to in a while. And, and yeah, you know what you're going through, but, but God laid something really heavy on your heart in order to reach out. You, you are putting someone else above yourself in that very moment. God blesses that. This is amazing grace. Don't you hate it when someone takes credit for something they really didn't do? Whether it's on the job, in the church, or in the home, it leaves a bad taste in our mouth. Well, God doesn't look highly on that sort of behavior either. And today on Abounding Grace, that's exactly what King Saul is about to do. We've reached chapter 13 in our verse-by-verse study of 1 Samuel. As Saul is about to take credit for something his son actually did, Pastor Ed Taylor will encourage us to cultivate humility in our lives. 1 Samuel chapter 13, to where we are in our study. In 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, as we move on into this new chapter, the focus is primarily on King Saul's early reign. As we follow him, we'll learn more about his character more about who he is as a man on the inside and remember what reveals character more than a test, than a trial. The trials of life do not create what's in us. The trials of life reveal what's in us. We find many tests in the life of King Saul, how he had great potential It's all wasted, though, in compromise and in sin. And may that not be our testimony in life. May we not go down as so much potential and yet wasted, thrown away. We'll find a phrase, and this is what I've titled our message for the chapter today. We'll find a phrase that's very chilling. It's this phrase. The Lord would have. I I don't want to find out what that would mean in my life. I don't want to find out, you know, Ed, if you just would have, the Lord would have. And that's what Saul's going to learn, King Saul. The Lord would have. But he didn't because of your behavior. I'll point it out to you when we get there. Verse 1 of chapter 13. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines as was in Geba, and the Philistines heard it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it, 
said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines and the people were called together to Saul in Gilgal. Now, out of the 300,000 men that we know were with Saul back in chapter 11, verse 8, they all volunteered to fight. Saul picks just 3,000 of them, half with him and half with his son Jonathan, to attack the Philistines in this area of Geba. We learn here that his valiant son Jonathan goes out to fight and is victorious. But did you notice, we read a little quickly here, but did you notice Jonathan fought the fight and won the victory, but who blew the horn? Anybody notice? Saul blew the horn. Jonathan did all the work and the fighting, but it was Saul that blew the trumpet of victory. That's a problem. That's a big problem we see right here in the first two years of King Saul's reign. And this is what we see happening with King Saul here. We see him taking glory for another man's work. We see him taking the credit for another man's work. There there are two words that come to mind that we would call that. Two things that are inside a person that would take the glory for the work that someone else did. And there might be other words, but I believe focusing on these two are very important for our text today. If you want to write them down, you want to jot them down in verses 1 through 4, you can do that. I see in this, I see in Saul here, the active working of pride and deceit. Pride and deceit. A man, King Saul, who started out so quickly, he started out so humble and yet so quickly succumbs to prideful ambition. Hold your places in 1 Samuel, would you? And turn over to Proverbs chapter 6 with me. Proverbs chapter 6. So quickly, pride and deceit reveal themselves in the life of King Saul. And in Proverbs chapter 6, I want to draw your attention now to verse 16. Insight to what the Lord hates. The Bible speaks of God. Hating six things, no seven are abomination to him, verse 16 says. And notice the list. The very first thing on the list is pride, a proud look. What is number two? A lying tongue, deceit. Already, the first two years of King Saul's reign, he's already hit the top two of the things that God hates. Lying and deceitfulness. He also hates hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness that speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. The Bible has much to say about these sins. In Psalm 101, verse 5, it says, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure, the Bible says. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, and this is a familiar one, many of you have memorized this. You may have forgotten the address like I did, but here's the address, Proverbs 16, 18, and here's the scripture. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Yes. We know it's so different than what God would have for us. Because when we come to the New Testament, we see revealed to us As Paul writes to the church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, 
Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interest of others. Instead of pride and instead of selfishness, God would encourage us to walk in humility, to, to be humble. Pride and humility are extreme opposites. The Bible tells us that pride is the one sin that will set God against you and me. Consider again James chapter 4 verse 6. You can just jot them down. I'll read them to you. He gives more grace, James writes. Therefore he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Exodus chapter 10 verse 3. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, Anyone that has ever put the focus in their life on humility will agree that humility doesn't come easy in our lives. Just beginning to think about it can also, as you're thinking about being humble, can at the very same time stir up thoughts of pride. It's a very interesting piece of character in our lives that we have to be very careful. It was Charles Spurgeon the great preacher that said, and I quote, when you know you've got humility, when you've come to the understanding that you've got humility, it's at that moment that you've lost it. So for example, when, when we declare, you know, I'm being humble, very close to losing it at that point. I believe it's a very valid point. So when we think of humility, it's not something we can create. It's not something that we can strive after. It's not something that we can just decide to be. But I do believe it's something the Holy Spirit will give us, will flow through us as the fruit of the Spirit all relate to true humility in the Lord. So what is it that we can do that would help us in this area of humility? If you're taking notes, let me give you a few things to consider when it comes to the topic of humility in your life. So rather than saying, I will be a humble person, here are some things that will stir up humility in your life. Number one, engage in genuine worship. And really another way of saying that is to cultivate your relationship, your personal relationship with the Lord. Cultivate your personal relationship with the Lord. What we do when we are worshiping God, whether it's through song, whether it's in a devo, whether it's just having the consciousness of God, enjoying him, looking to him, engage in genuine worship. You know, as we sing together, as we engage in, just think of song just for a second. You know, some of you don't like to sing. Is that true? Some of you just don't like to sing. You don't want to sing. Singing for you really becomes an act of obedience. Singing is not high on your, on your, you don't sing in the shower, you don't sing in the car, you don't sing alone, you don't sing in groups. Why? Because you don't sing. That's just your deal. And yet, among the family of God from the very beginning, 
even prior to the church being birthed, even among those followers of God, and the song and music was a huge way of expression of worship toward God. It is a part, it is a part of expressing ourselves. And it could be that song is something that God is using in your life to humble you. But you resist. So you refuse. And you hold on to. It's it's as if, you know, I don't have to sing. I don't want to sing. And I know that doesn't necessarily lead to pride in your life, but it would be something for you to really consider when you hold back from something that will bless you, like song. When you come to the place where I don't do that, I mean, in Psalm 86, verse 9, it says, All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and glorify your name. Whatever you might be doing, engage in genuine worship. Submit yourself to God. Secondly, another way to cultivate humility in our lives is to be an encouragement to others. When you encourage other people, you place their needs above your own needs. Well, maybe you're going through a tough time right now, but the Lord really impresses upon you to send a text out to somebody you haven't talked to in a while. And, and yeah, you know what you're going through, but, but God laid something really heavy on your heart in order to reach out. You, you are putting someone else above yourself in that very moment. God blesses that. God blesses that. I had the privilege of being with the teachers today in our school as they have, we have our church staff meeting in the morning while the teachers are taking care of the kids. And then the teachers have their staff meeting uh, in the evening with Chandel, the administrator of the school. Um, but she was out today. So I had the privilege of sitting in with them and talking about um, these things. And, and one of the things I shared with them that I see in my life and, and I want to cultivate it is I, I want to, as I'm searching through the scriptures, I want to determine from God's heart, what is it that he blesses? Because whatever God blesses is what I want to be a part of. Wherever his blessing is, that's what I want to spend my time on. Wherever you see the hand of God in a positive way, that's going to be worth my time. That's going to be worth my energy. That's going to be worth my sacrifice. That's going to be worth my blood and my sweat and my tears in the spiritual realm. What does God bless? And you know, when you see the things that God blesses, there's a banner over that. There's really a title over that. And it's something you can consider and pray through this week. And that is this, God always blesses his will. That's always a blessing from God. He always blesses his will. That's always a place of his approval. That's always a place of his assistance. That's always a place of his strength. Like when the Bible says, when the Bible says, wait on the Lord, those that wait on the Lord shall renew renew their strength. Well, it's God's will that we wait. And when you are in a place of waiting on the Lord, your strength, that's he blesses that. You don't want to be, I don't want to be in a place even in a gray area where I'm not sure if God blesses, let's test that and see. I want to spend my time, what little time I have left, in the places that God blesses. And I encourage the teachers the same way. I encourage the pastoral team. And our Man, we need to be in a place and we need to desire to be in a place that, that we are seeking the blessing of God. Not, not because we want some special, supernatural, financial blessing of some sort that's been twisted, but so that we can truly be humble people impacting a world with the love of Jesus Christ. God resists the proud, 
How do I, then how do I, if I can't, you know, if I can't just decide to be humble and, and I can't start saying I'm humble, then how can I be? Well, these are ways to cultivate, engage in genuine worship. Encourage other people. Support someone other than yourself. Give. Give of yourself. Give of your stuff. Give of your time. It'll cultivate humility. Find those, that, find those. Pray for God to show you someone in need. And help a brother. Help a sister. Listen, in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 5, it says, The coastland saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near. And listen, verse 6 says, Everyone helped their neighbor and said to their brother, Be of good courage. What a great time. Everyone helped their neighbor. And they encouraged one another. Be of good courage, brother. Man, that's a place of humility. When you are concerned for the needs of others above your own, that's a place of humility. God cultivates humility. Thirdly, let me give you another one. Uh, yeah, this is a hard one, but let's just lay it out there. You want to cultivate humility? Experience failure. Okay, Ed. I think I'll just go fail just to be humble. No, no, it doesn't happen that way, does it? You're taking steps of faith. You're seeking to obey the Lord. You want to enjoy the obedience and what God blesses, and you make a mistake. When you and I experience failure, I'm, I'm not encouraging you to go look to fail and fail on purpose, not at all. But when failure does come in your life, Allow it to have its perfect work in the hands of God so you will learn how to be humble. Experience failure. Haven't we all experienced failures? I'm pretty sure you're like, no, I've never experienced failure. It's coming. Yes, it is. And there's a lesson to be learned. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones once wrote. He said, it's very difficult to be humble if you're always successful. So God chastises us with failure at times in order to humble us and keep us in a state of humility. That was a pretty powerful. I remember reading that for the first time. And I began to look back at my life. I read it many years ago. I remember looking back on my life and in that season of my life, I, I saw a lot of success. Yeah, it, you know, it came with hard work, of course, or diligence, but I just saw success in my life from the Lord. Not huge success, but not a lot of pain either. And I began to look, I, I remember just saying, Lord, um, you know, you've blessed me. I, I, I see success in various areas. I see your hand of blessing in my life. And, and little would I know that over time, as all of us, you know, more and more the storms of life come. And God truly does use them. And he allows us to, to go face down in failure in order for us to cry out in utter dependence upon him. It, it's, it's hard to be prideful when you're... When you failed. I mean, you certainly can be prideful. We'll see in a minute. You can make excuses and things. But when you embrace the failures that God has allowed into your life. In Psalm 85 verse 6 it says, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? You know, when you're down and out, you're crying out for revival. <laughs> I mean, when you're face down and you're, you, you've lost it all. And you, you know, if you failed in a real public way or you failed in a way that has truly humbled you, your prayer life becomes, Lord, revive me. Give me life. 
Though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. I want to be that man, Lord. Get me back up. Put my feet on a solid rock. Fourthly, you want to cultivate, and I want to cultivate humility in our lives. Extend your prayer time. Extend your prayer time. Each time we pray, we express our need for God. Now, we may not think of it that way. But every time you're praying and thanking God, you're expressing your need for him. Every time you're praying for a friend, you're expressing your need. Every time you're asking God, every time you're communicating with God, you're, you're building up in your own heart the consciousness of his presence. And when you have the true consciousness of God, you recognize who he is and who you are. And there's nothing but a humble response to a glorious, sovereign, providential God. Pray. Pray and pray more. Seek him before you seek man's wisdom. Pray. Lay before him the needs that are before you. In Psalm 95 verse 6 it says, Oh come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Let's bow down and worship. Let's pray. Asking God that... There's no more humble place, I think, than in our prayer lives where we just acknowledge God for who he is and our need for him. Number one, engage in genuine worship. Secondly, encourage others. Thirdly, experience failure. Fourthly, extend your prayer time. And number five, and there's a long list here. I, I don't have them all, but I think these are good to consider is esteem others better than yourself. Esteem others better than yourself. I mean, think about it. Jonathan fought the fight and you blew the horn. And then when people were saying that you had the victory, Saul, you're not going to correct them. People are declaring you to be the great leader of the army and you're not going to correct them. It's your own boy. It's your son. You're not going to watch out even for your own son. You're going to be the king of Israel on behalf of God and you won't even watch out for your own boy. You won't, even, you won't even instruct your own boy. You won't even cover him. You won't even protect him and lead him in the ways of righteousness and say, that's my son. Don't, I don't take any of the glory. God gave the victory through my son. I just blew the trumpet. Oh, no. Not only did I blow the trumpet, but I also took credit. He didn't even esteem his own son, his own family. I know this isn't easy as it sounds, especially in our society, when we're taught to build, and we use, I use the word very um, specifically, esteem, because it's common today, isn't it? But what's taught to us today, and what we pretty much grew up with in the education system of the last 40, 45 years, is this whole concept of self-esteem. To build a person's self-esteem at any cost, and at a very young age, Believe you're the best. Believe and declare that you're something special. There's no one more important than you on the planet. Now, I'm not advocating, nor do I think the Bible advocates to look down on ourselves. Because when you look down on yourself, you're looking down on the God who saved you and redeemed you. It's not, an ad, it's not this opposite extreme of, well, if there's not self-esteem, then I should just put myself down. Not at all. The type of esteem that we need to cultivate is one that comes from the Lord. And when it comes from God, you're going to esteem others better than yourself. That's a place of true humility. 
You're listening to Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. We're going through 1 Samuel right now. To give this a second listen, all you need to do is visit AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can listen through our app, and that can be found in the App Store or Google Play by searching for Ed Taylor. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time and production costs. And think of this, you'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. I'm sure we've all experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, and it can be a confusing time. But rather than turn bitter and angry, you can experience healing and hope. Gene Edwards looks at David, Saul, and Absalom. I know you'll be touched as you read this story. Just call 877-30-GRACE to make your request and donation today. We'll pick up where we left off in 1 Samuel next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado and online at AboundingGraceRadio.com.